Prayer is simply one of the most important yet neglected and difficult exercises and privileges in the Christian life. Elijah was a great man of prayer, and he persisted in doing it with great endurance. It was an endurance that was answered by God. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. We're in an expositional study in the life of Elijah. In today's passage, we learn of becoming a firekeeper, or a person who knows and understands the importance of prayer. Well, Phil, the title of your message today is God's Firekeeper. Could you explain what you mean by that? Well, Mark, it's a title I borrowed from Native American Indian tradition. You know, when the Indians went out to hunt or to gather, typically, and this would be true in the Northeast, they would leave at least one warrior behind to make sure that the fire was kept burning in the longhouse. That was the fire keeper. And if you think about the story of Elijah, that's really his role for Israel. He was the prophet that was keeping the fire of faith alive for the people of Israel, and he was doing it through prayer. How can we, through our prayer, look like Elijah and be a true fire keeper? Well, Mark, in today's message, I'm going to talk about six characteristics of firekeeping prayer. But I, I want to just mention one of them right now for our listeners, and that is kingdom prayer. You know, we have a lot of different kinds of prayers that we offer in the church, prayers of praise. We have emergency prayer when we're in a desperate situation. We may offer medical prayers, mealtime prayers. But I wonder how often are we praying kingdom prayers, prayers for the global advance of the kingdom of God through missions, through church planting, through the evangelization of the world. And I want to challenge our listeners today to be involved in kingdom prayer as an important part of the life of prayer. That's the way to keep the fire burning. Thanks, Phil. Turn in your Bible now to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36, and let's listen to God's word for us today. Elijah was like the firekeeper in the longhouse. Among the Native American Indians of the Northeast, like the Iroquois tribe, for example, the longhouse was the center of tribal life. Extended families would live, sleep, work, and play in a long wooden building called the longhouse. And one member of the tribe was chosen to be the firekeeper for the longhouse. It was his job to make sure that the flame in the longhouse was never extinguished. When the others would go off to gather or to hunt or to fight, he would stay home at the longhouse and keep the home fires burning. Elijah was like the firekeeper in the longhouse. When the tribes of Israel wandered in the spiritual wilderness and when the prophets of Baal came and tried to stamp out biblical faith in Israel, Elijah stayed at home. He blew on the embers of biblical faith. The fire of his faith in the Lord God was not extinguished. He was the keeper of the flame for the people of Israel. And so when the people returned from their spiritual wanderings and gathered at Mount Carmel, it was Elijah's spark that God used to reignite his people and to turn their hearts back to him. How did he do it? How did Elijah keep the fire burning? We have been using James chapter 5 as our key to understanding the ministry of Elijah. Let me remind you again what that scripture says. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. 
He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah kept the home fires burning through prayer. We cannot escape this interpretation of the life of the prophet Elijah. We keep coming back to it again and again. First and foremost, Elijah was a man of prayer. And let us be very honest about one thing this morning. Prayer does not excite us. We are ready to go up the mountain with Elijah, ready to confront the people of Israel, ready to mock the prophets of Baal, ready to see the fire of God come down from heaven, ready to fall on our faces and worship God, perhaps even ready to put sin to death at the Kishon River. But are we ready to pray? We have found prayer to be such difficult labor that it does not excite us. It is such an intensely spiritual activity that it cuts against the grain of our natural inclinations. If you want proof, take a look at what happens in most prayer meetings. We spend plenty of time in fellowship. We spend plenty of time sharing requests, plenty of time discussing life's troubles, plenty of time doing anything and everything except actually praying. Prayer is always the first thing to go. It is the first thing to go in a busy week. It is the first thing you leave out of your morning routine. It is the first thing you abandon when you go on vacation. Prayer is raw spirituality, but most of us are not very spiritual. And yet there is no other way to receive the blessings of God. All the spiritual blessings God has to give come through a life of prayer. And if we want the good things that God loves to give, we must pray for them. Do you want to know what God wants you to do with your life? Wisdom for life's decisions comes through prayer. Do you want a palpable sense of the presence of Almighty God in worship? The awesome presence of God in worship comes through prayer. Do you want to see your friends and family come to know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Well, conversion comes through prayer. Do you want to see revival come to the church? The fire of the Holy Spirit comes through prayer. You want to see the gospel transform the city of brotherly love. Cultural transformation comes through prayer. Look behind any great movement of the Spirit of God and you will always find prayer behind it. Consider the Moravian revival of 1727. It began in a prayer meeting. So overwhelmed were the people with the presence of God, they were convicted to pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this lasted over 100 years with astounding results around the world. Consider the ministry of William Carey, the father of modern missions and a great evangelist to India. What was the secret of his success? He had a paralyzed, bedridden sister who prayed incessantly for him for 50 years. Spiritual blessings come from God, and they come through prayer. There is no way around it. 
There is no other way to receive spiritual blessings but to pray for them. We cannot have a demonstration of the power of God in our lives or in our worship or in our evangelism or in our church or in our city except if we prevail in prayer. And frankly, that comes as a disappointment to most of us. We want to see the fire of the Spirit on the mountain, but we do not want to wrestle with God in prayer down in the valley. Elijah was able to get a whole nation to the top of a mountain to see a fight. But imagine for a moment what would have happened if he had called a prayer meeting. It really was a prayer meeting, you know. The people in marketing would never let Elijah advertise it like that. No one would show up. No one would show up, that is, except the fire keepers, the spiritual fire keepers. They would gather in the longhouse for prayer. They would tend their heart fires and blow on the coals of biblical faith. The fire keepers would be there praying to God and waiting for his spirit to descend with fire. You can become a firekeeper like Elijah. We do not have any shouting or dancing or taunting or fireworks. All we have is prayer. And I, through the scriptures, am inviting you to be a firekeeper. I'm speaking not only to the adults, but also to the children. Prayer may not sound very exciting to you. There are times when it does not sound very exciting to me either. But prayer is the only way to stay warm with God. And cold days are coming for the church. And you need to know how to keep the flame of faith in Jesus Christ alive in the longhouse so that other people can come next to you and get warm. Well, how do you do it? Here are six lessons about fire keeping to help you become a man or a woman of prayer. This is how we tend the flame. First, pray on the basis of a sacrifice for sin. Pray on the basis of a sacrifice for sin. Elijah did not dare to come into the presence of God without offering atonement for his sins. Now, there is something very curious about Elijah's prayer in this chapter, and I wonder if you can explain it to me. Why did Elijah pray for fire? Back in verse 24, Elijah said, The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, why did he pray for that? Fire was the last thing the people of Israel needed. What they really needed was some rain. Remember, it had not rained upon the land for three and a half years. And at the beginning of this chapter, we saw poor King Ahab wandering in the desert, looking for a little grass for his donkeys. I can imagine someone at Mount Carmel listening to Elijah's challenge and saying, Say, Elijah, couldn't we make that rain instead of fire? How about the God who answers by rain? He is God. After all, if you look back at verse 1, you can see that rain is what God had promised to send. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. If God promised rain, why did Elijah pray for fire? Elijah prayed for fire because before the people of God could receive any other blessing from God, they needed to receive atonement for their sins. 
They needed to get right with God before they could get rain from God. Remember, the reason there had been no rain on the land is that the people had sinned against God. Drought was God's particular punishment for idolatry. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce. The reason Elijah took a bull up the mountain, the reason he rebuilt an altar out of 12 stones, the reason he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces was to offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people of Israel. Only then could God's judgment be removed. Only then could blessing come upon the people of God. It was first things first. First, the repentance, and then the forgiveness. First, the removal of the curse, and then the bestowal of the blessing. First, the sacrifice for sin, and then the showers of rain. Elijah knew something about the holiness of God. He knew that God's people cannot come into his presence and live without a sacrifice for sin. He knew that there was no sense asking for rain before they received the fire to consume their sacrifice. Elijah prayed on the basis of a sacrifice for sin. Do you pray on the basis of a sacrifice for sin? Do you have a sacrifice to bring for your sins when you pray? Yes, you do if you know Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed that Christians always pray in the name of Jesus Christ? When Christians get to the end of their prayers, they say, In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. That is not just a little conclusion like happily ever after the end, at the end of a story. It is a solemn recognition that the only reason we can even pray to God is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We do not offer a new sacrifice when we pray, but we do present the once-for-all atonement of Jesus Christ as the basis for our coming before the throne of God's grace. And if prayer must be offered in the name of Jesus Christ on the basis of his sacrifice for sin, that may explain why some of your prayers have gone unanswered. I once saw a Peanuts comic strip in which Peppermint Patty was praying in school. She had her eyes closed and her hands clasped together and she was saying, Oh God, please don't let her call on me. Please, please. Her friend Marcy turned around and said, Sir, I thought they banned prayer in school. Marcy, Peppermint Patty replied, This kind of prayer will always be with us. Everybody prays. Even hardened atheists pray when their lives hang in the balance. They cannot help but pray. But they do not always get the answers they are hoping for. And then they blame God. They say, God never answers my prayers. I prayed one time that God would do thus and so for me, and he never did it. In fact, I told God that I would give my whole life to him if he would just answer this one prayer, and he never answered it. But here's the question. Did you offer that prayer in the name of Jesus Christ 
When you pray, did you confess your sins and trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for them? If not, then you have no reason to blame God for not answering your prayer. You owe God atonement for your sins. God does not owe you anything. What have you ever given to God that he should repay you? Now, out of his great mercy, God does sometimes hear and answer prayers that are not offered in and through Jesus Christ. He does that for his own glory. But first things first, if you want the rain from God, you have to get right with God by bringing a sacrifice for your sins. Second lesson, pray in the revealed name of God. Pray in the revealed name of God. The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Elijah prayed to the right God. That is the whole point of this passage. Elijah did not pray in the name of Baal because, as we have seen, it is too hard to get Baal out of bed. He prayed to the living and true God. He prayed to the God who hears and answers prayer. He prayed to the God who bound himself in covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. What a wonderful thing that God has given us his name. God has given us his name so that we may know him and grab a hold of him whenever we need him in prayer. Parents learn about the power of a name when their children begin to call them by their first names. Hey, Dad. Daddy. Daddy. You're not listening to me, Dad. Hey, Phil. (laughs) What? I'm listening. What do you want? God has our full attention when we call upon him by name. He has given us dozens of names to use in the scriptures. Any of the names or titles God gives himself in scripture are appropriate to use in prayer. Yahweh, I am, Almighty God, the Lord. You can pray to the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, and the God of Elijah. You can pray to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or you can pray the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray, calling God Daddy. God has given you his name so that you can call upon him in prayer. Here is a third lesson for fire keepers. Pray for the glory of God to be revealed. Pray for the glory of God to be revealed. Elijah prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Elijah was praying that God would be known to be God. He was praying that God would glorify himself. He was praying that God would reveal the glory of his deity to the whole nation. The goal of his prayer was the goal of all goals. It was the glory of God. We often remind ourselves that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Here Elijah is praying towards the end of God's chief end. The chief end of God is to glorify himself and to enjoy himself forever. And I call that kind of prayer kingdom prayer. Kingdom prayer is prayer directed towards the glory of God. 
It is prayer for the unhindered extension of the rule of God. Kingdom prayer is the kind of prayer that John Piper writes about in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. This is what he says. Prayer proves the supremacy of God. This is why God has ordained prayer to have such a crucial place in the mission of the church. The purpose of prayer is to make clear to all the participants in this spiritual war that the victory belongs to the Lord. Prayer is God's appointed means of bringing grace to us and glory to himself. Kingdom prayer is the kind of prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Remember how the Lord's prayer begins. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. True disciples pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. They pray for the glorious rule of the Lord Jesus Christ to spread throughout the entire universe. And you can tell that Elijah was a true disciple because he offered kingdom prayer. We spend too little of our time in kingdom prayer. Most of our prayer is emergency prayer. It has to do with what is happening to us right now. We thank God for his goodness to us. We pray for the sick. We pray for our own needs, and that is about it. Now, there is nothing wrong with those prayers. Jesus instructed us to pray for our daily bread, but prayer can be so much more. We need to expand our prayers to include kingdom prayer, for the rule of Jesus Christ. Some of our prayer, at least, must be devoted to praying for the glory of God to be revealed in mighty acts throughout every corner of the universe. Kingdom prayer is prayer for conversions, prayer for missions, prayer for churches, prayer for cities, prayer for nations. It is the kind of prayer given at the end of a letter I received this week. My prayer is that God will be glorified and his name exalted at 10th and in the whole city. God loves to answer kingdom prayer. There is something so pure about the desire for God alone to be glorified that kingdom prayer is uniquely efficacious. F.B. Meyer has put it like this, whenever we so lose ourselves in prayer as to forget personal interest, and to plead for the glory of God, we have reached a vantage ground from which we can win anything from him. But don't take F.B. Meyer's word for it. Listen to the extravagant promise of Jesus Christ. We do not understand this promise usually because we do not realize that Jesus is talking about kingdom prayer, about prayer for the glorification of God. This is what Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It is when we pray for God to be glorified that Jesus will do whatever we ask. And if you want to learn how to offer kingdom prayer, then you need to be here next Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for our quarterly day of prayer. The day of prayer is our quarterly meeting for kingdom prayer. It is the day we pray that God would be known to be God in this church and in this city. 
It is the day when we pray together for the rule of God to spread, the day when the Holy Spirit guides us to pray for the glorification of God. And for that reason, we ought to treat the days of prayer as our most important services. Indeed, if you come to only one service this fall, come to that service to offer kingdom prayer. Here is a fourth lesson. Pray for the vindication of the ministry of God's word. Pray for the vindication of the ministry of God's word. Not only did Elijah pray that God would be known to be God, he prayed that he himself would be known to be God's servant. Let it be known today, Elijah prayed, that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Does that prayer make you a little bit uncomfortable? After praying for the glory of God, is Elijah now praying for his own glory? No, Elijah is simply praying that God would vindicate his ministry of the word of God. You know, some of the things Elijah did seem a little strange. They certainly seemed strange to Elijah's colleagues. It was strange for him to oppose the religious leaders of his day, strange to mock the religious establishment, strange to pour all that water on his sacrifice. But Elijah did those things in obedience to God, and so he rightly asked that God would vindicate his ministry. He prayed that it would be widely known that as unpopular as his ministry had been, it was all because he was a prophet of the Lord God. It is right for us to pray for the vindication of the ministry of the word of God in the church. We do not measure the success of a ministry by its size or by its popularity. We measure success in ministry by faithfulness to the word of God. And so it is right for us to pray that we would be known to be faithful servants of God's word. And it is the unanimous view of the pastoral staff of this church that the success of the preaching of the word of God in this place depends entirely upon your prayers. Or perhaps I should say our prayers, all of us together. You should pray as if our ministry depended upon it, because, in fact, it does depend upon it. When you consider the way that the church 10th Presbyterian Church has been blessed by the preaching of Donald Gray Barnhouse and James Montgomery Boyce and others. You can see the fingerprints of a praying congregation all over it. Those are the fingerprints of a congregation that prays for the success, for the vindication of the word of God. The great London preacher Charles Spurgeon was sometimes asked why he had such a successful preaching ministry his answer was to take guests down to the basement of his church to show them where hundreds of parishioners gathered before the service to pray for the success of the ministry of the Word of God, to pray that the Word of God would be vindicated in their midst. Behind faithful preaching, behind great preaching, there is always a praying congregation. Lesson number five for firekeepers. Pray for conversions. Pray for conversions. 
This is how Elijah ends his prayer. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. You can sense Elijah's fervency by the way he repeats himself. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. The reason Elijah is so fervent is that he is praying for conversions. He is praying that God would turn the hearts of the people back again. And that is just what happens when someone becomes a Christian. The Holy Spirit takes the heart of a sinner who has wandered away from God and turns it back to God. A firekeeper prays for that to happen. He or she wants to spread the flame. He or she is not content with private spiritual growth, but wants to see the love of Jesus Christ burst into flame in the hearts of others. One of the main themes of our pastoral retreat this summer was evangelistic prayer. We do long to see men and women and children come to know Jesus Christ in this place, not just in ones or twos, but in elevens and twelves. As we searched our own hearts and considered the spiritual condition of this church, we agreed that we are weak in evangelistic prayer. Evangelistic prayer is one kind of kingdom prayer. When we pray for someone's conversion, we are praying that God would rule over that person's heart. We are praying for the kingdom of God to come into the heart of a particular person. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to the Chinese, was mystified by the numbers of souls being won to Christ at a particular mission station in China. He was mystified, that is, until he met a man back in England at the end of one of his addresses. The man was so thoroughly conversant in the work of that mission station that Taylor asked him how he knew so much about it. Oh, he replied, the missionary there and I are old college mates. For years we have regularly corresponded. He has sent me the names of inquirers and converts, and these I have daily taken to God in prayer. That was the secret. A man praying daily and definitely for specific conversions. That man was a firekeeper. He was praying for conversions. When you pray, keep a list of the souls for whom you are seeking salvation. If you are in a small group Bible study, some portion of your prayer time every week ought to be devoted to praying by name for the salvation of people who do not know Jesus Christ. God will answer such prayers as he answered Elijah's prayer by sending the fire of the Holy Spirit to turn those hearts back to him. And finally, lesson six, keep on praying. Elijah did not give up. He kept on praying until God answered his prayer. After the fire came from heaven, the scripture says, Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. I used to wonder what Elijah was doing with his face between his knees. But he's praying, of course. We know that he is praying because he is in the proper 
posture for prayer. He is bent all the way down to the ground. He is in the same position that all Israel had been in just a little while before when they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Elijah has put his face down in the dust to pray to the Lord God. And although the Bible does not command any one posture for prayer, Elijah's example is good to follow. Here is what the Bible does command. It commands persistence in prayer. Six times Elijah's servant went and looked toward the sea, and six times he came back with bad news. There is nothing there, he said. There was not the slightest wisp of a cloud in the whole sky. It was sky blue from the top of Mount Carmel way out into the Mediterranean Sea. But Elijah did not despair. He did not grow discouraged. He did not abandon his trust in the promises of God. He watched and prayed right through until the answer of God. How many times have you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and not received an answer from God? Many of you have prayed six times and are still waiting to see that small cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea that Elijah's servant saw. You are still waiting for the rain of God's blessing, and not just waiting for the rain of God's blessing, still waiting even for one small token that God has heard your prayers. You have prayed for the salvation of a wayward child, and you are still waiting You have prayed for a good job, and you are still waiting. You have prayed that the Lord would reveal his will for your life, and you are still waiting. You have prayed that the Lord would deliver you from some sin, and you are still waiting. You have prayed for the Lord to heal a sickness and are still waiting. You have prayed, perhaps, for the Lord to give you a spouse or a child, and you are still waiting. You have prayed and prayed and prayed, and yet you have received the bad news Elijah received. There is nothing there. Do not stop praying. Pray without ceasing. You have prayed six times, but pray a seventh time. Pray 70 times, seven times. Do not let your prayers come to an end. Persist in prayer until God answers Elijah's prayers were powerful and effective. And for this reason, among others, because he kept praying them until they were answered. He prayed earnestly, the scripture says, and earnest prayer is persistent prayer. In his little book, The Power of Prayer, E.M. Bounds has this advice for fire keepers. Prayer is the first thing. The second thing, the third thing necessary to minister. Pray, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, pray, pray, pray. Firekeeping, you see, is a full-time job. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we 
long to see the things that Elijah saw and that the people of Elijah's day saw. We long to see men and women turning their hearts back to God. We long to see the fire of the Holy Spirit coming upon an entire nation. And yet we know how weak we are in prayer, how little we desire your glory, how infrequently we pray earnestly for the things that matter most to your heart. And so we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. Only he can kindle our hearts so that we would become fire keepers in your kingdom. We pray for this help in the name of Jesus Christ, who offered our sacrifice for sin. Amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Riken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce and Dr. Barnhouse in the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word.